want to welcome those of you who are joining us this morning by virtue of our podcast or our app. Uh, what you missed this morning was uh, a tremendous time of worship uh, led by Jake Fuller, our uh, worship pastor. And as part of our worship, we took some time this morning to read a creedal statement uh, called the Apostles' Creed that reminds us of some important points of our theology. You know, a lot of churches today distance themselves from theology. I, I think part of it is because uh, they feel like, you know, that theology can be divisive and all of that. But uh, I think that we believe as a church that theology is very important and that it matters. And in fact, we have this saying around here at City Church that goes like this. We say that good psychology Good psychology is good theology made personal. In fact, how you think about God is the most important thing to your, psychologi- uh, to your psychological well-being. And the passage that we're going to look at today is a powerful example of that. And what you're going to see in the passage that we're going to look at today is how great theology can make, uh, can made, uh, theology made personal can bring a peace into your life that transcends any circumstances, no matter what those circumstances in your life are. And I would ask you this morning, what circumstances are threatening your well-being this morning? Uh, I know that there are people here in the room today who are undergoing treatment for cancer. I know some of you personally. Uh, Some of you are going through painful divorces that you never wanted to begin with. Some of you are going through hard places in your present marriage. Some of you are going through some very hard things with your children and and a host of other very difficult, very painful circumstances. Uh, I want you to know that good theology made personal can bring peace into your soul that transcends even those circumstances. And as I said, the passage that we're going to look at today, I think, is a beautiful demonstration of that. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me in it to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 35. So it's in the New Testament. You go Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. If you don't know where it is, look it up at the table of contents. Uh, we're going to also put the verses up on the screen for those of you who did not uh, bring your Bible this morning. We're in the series, just kind of re- to remind you, on the first half of the Gospel of Mark, which covers three and a half years in the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, next year, we'll do a series on the last half of the Gospel of Mark. So, so think about this. The first half of the Gospel of Mark covers three and a half years in Jesus' life and ministry. The last half covers just eight days. So a half of the book to just eight days of Jesus' life. So we'll do that next year. For now, though, we're in the first half of the book, and we've been looking at this firsthand account of the life of Jesus written Uh, by people who knew Jesus, who witnessed the events that are recorded in the book of Mark. Uh, These couldn't be just legends because uh, or stories that someone made up because there were people alive at the time of the writing of this book who would have said, no, that's not true. And so Jesus' revolution could never have gained any momentum. So these are firsthand uh, accounts of things that actually happened. By the way, uh, I I just want to take a moment. I want to thank Sean. Uh, little for speaking last week. I think he did a great job. I'm grateful for him. Would you show him your uh, appreciation? Um, and I, I just, but I just 
if I can, just a little parenthesis here. We'll get back to the text in just a minute, but just a parenthesis. I'm, I just want to say this. I'm so delighted to have the privilege to work with every member uh, of our staff. They are an incredibly talented, incredibly sincere, incredibly delic- uh, dedicated, uh, hardworking group of people that we as a church are blessed to have and that I'm very blessed to get a chance to work with. And I would tell you that this staff is as talented as I have had the privilege uh, to work with, and in some cases more talented than people that I've had a chance to work with in any other churches that I've been a part of. So we're, we're very blessed to have our, our staff. Yeah, show them your appreciation. Okay, just a little reminder of the context of Mark 4. Jesus has recently been talking about the kingdom of God and what that kingdom will look like one day in the future. The last couple parables in chapter 4 have been about that. Now, I want to read the whole passage that we're going to look at today because it's really a great story and it all comes, it's it's pretty short and it all, you kind of have to read it all to get the power of it. Verse 35, that day, same day that he was teaching the parables, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. He's talking about over uh, to the other side of the sea. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping uh, on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, in our effort now to understand and think accurately about who Jesus is, this passage teaches us some great theology as it relates to his power. That, again, when you make this theology personal, uh, it will bring a peace into your soul that transcends every circumstance, uh, every storm Uh, that you go through in your life as well. And in fact, there are three things that we learn about Jesus' power from this passage. And I'll just give them to you up front, and then we'll go through them in detail. First, he has infinite power. That's number one. Second, he has uncontrollable power. And third, he has costly power. Infinite, uncontrollable, and costly power. And let's start now with infinite power. Infinite power. It is very easy when you read this story to forget, as it relates to this storm, that these disciples were professional fishermen. Okay, these aren't, this isn't like a group of landlubber pastors out there, right? Uh, These guys are professional fishermen. Anyone watch Deadliest Catch? Anybody watch that show? Okay, that's these guys, okay? That's these guys. A summer rainstorm on the sea, uh, some thunder, some dark clouds, some wind and waves does not frighten these kind of guys, okay? They're used to that. They laugh at that. They scoff at that. No, this is much, much worse. In fact, the phrase in verse 37 that is translated furious squall actually is two Greek words, one of which is mega. And remember that. I want you to remember the word mega because it's going to come up a bunch of times here. The, The phrase translated furious squall is actually mega, and then the other word, which is translated whirlwind. Mega whirlwind. This story, by the way, is also recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew uses a different Greek word to describe this storm. He uses the Greek word seismos, from which we get the word seismic. So this is essentially a hurricane that they're describing. 
Which is why they're saying to Jesus in verse 38, don't you care if we drown? We're going to die in this thing. That's the kind of storm that we're dealing with here. Now what I want you to see is that Jesus does two things that are a stunning display of this infinite power that he has. First is just the simplicity of what he says. I want you to notice, he didn't stand up, he didn't roll up his sleeves, he didn't grab a wand a la Harry Potter, uh, and he didn't, he didn't like some charismatic, uh, you know, TV prosperity teacher, he doesn't stand up and say, in the name of, and he doesn't say anything like that. You have to take a course on how to do that in seminary, that's why I know how to do that so well. In the name of, uh, he doesn't say, in the name of, be still, he doesn't say that. No, just two very simple Greek words. The first one uh, is the word seopao, which means be still. And then the second one is famao, which means uh, quiet. So be still, quiet. Now, if you're a parent, <laughs> you have said those words to your kids, depending upon how old your kids are, you've said them to your kids like hundreds of thousands of times throughout their lives, have you not? Be quiet, still, you know, whatever. Uh, sometimes it works with your kids, sometimes it doesn't work with your kids. But Jesus says these two words to a hurricane. And would you notice what happens? First, the wind stops. The wind stops. Now, okay, some of you here this morning are skeptics. I understand that, and I don't, I don't blame you at all. It's okay to be a skeptic. Um, but if you're a skeptic, you could say, well, you know, okay, the wind stopped. That could just be a coincidence, right? Okay. But notice the second thing, the sea. Here's what's interesting. You know what Greek word Mark uses to describe how calm the sea got? Same word that he used to describe the storm, mega. He says, he says it got mega calm. What he means is, is like dead calm. Now, if you've ever been to a beach or if you've ever been on a large lake or on the ocean during a storm, you know, like, if it's, you know, right? I mean, like, if it's, if it's really windy or if there's, you know, if there's been a storm, it takes a while, uh, hours, maybe even days, for the sea to die down. That is not what happened here. Jesus says, quiet, be still to this mega storm, and it immediately stops, and the water immediately becomes mega calm, glass, immediately. Not like hours later, not like minutes later, not like days later, immediately, okay? Now, this is important, because if there is one thing that all ancient cultures believed, it's that the sea was uncontrollable to anyone but God, which explains why, for instance, the psalmist writes about God in Psalm 89.9. We'll put it up here uh, on the screen, Psalm 89.9. The psalmist says, you rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up, you still them. And then he, you know, the psalmist says again, you can find this throughout the psalms, but the psalmist says in Psalm 93.4, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. The psalmist is saying that only God can do that. Only God has the power to do that. And here, Jesus is doing what only God can do. Which explains why 
in verse 41, the text says that after he calmed the storm, it says they were terrified. And they want to know who, who, who this is. Why? Because even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus, you see, has, he has infinite power because he's doing something that no one but God can do. Speak two words to a hurricane like you would do to a noisy child. And the hurricane stops. By the way, in verse 41, when Mark says that after Jesus performed this miracle, you know, he says that they were terrified, it's actually kind of funny how Mark says it in Greek. Uh, Remember how Mark described the storm and how he described the calm? Remember he said it was a mega storm and then it got mega calm. Interesting. He uses the same word here to describe the disciples, but he even, like you're you're like, okay, well, you, you know, mega afraid. You're like, well, you couldn't amplify that. It's like, if you're mega afraid, you're, you're afraid. But he does. Here's what he does. He says that they were mega, and then the word he uses is phobeo, which means fear, so mega afraid. But then he also adds the word phobon, which is another form of phobeo, which also means fear. And so what he's saying is that these guys were mega scared scared by this act of Jesus. Like they were mega scared, scared. I don't know if you've ever been that scared. I don't know if you've ever been mega scared, scared. I've been scared before. Uh, I might have been mega scared before. But I don't think I've ever been mega scared, scared. Now why? Why were these guys mega scared, scared uh, after this? Part of it, of course, is the natural fear I think that you would have. If, like if you suddenly realize that you're standing with a supernatural being, Right? Uh, that would be profoundly disruptive to, like, your paradigm of life, right? That would be frightening. Like, if I could speak and just, like, if I could just say, uh, um, rain, and then all of a sudden rain started coming, like a black cloud formed in this room, and then rain started coming. I mean, that would freak you out, right? And so they, they, they were mega freaked, freaked out, right? I mean, they were. But also... Here's, here's another reason I think that they were so mega scared, scared. Let's say that you came here today. As maybe, maybe, maybe you came here today, maybe, maybe you're an atheist. Maybe you would call yourself an atheist. Or maybe you would call yourself an agnostic. You know, you're just, you're just not sure. Or, or maybe even you're a person who would say, well, you know, I believe in God. But, but you've never really let that belief drive your life. Suddenly, when you read this passage, you realize all of a sudden that that there is more to life than just the natural. More to life than our naturalistic culture would have us believe. Suddenly, you realize that there is a God at work in the universe, which is good news, like on the one hand, because that means that there's meaning and that there's hope to life. But on the other hand, It's mega scary, scary. Because if Jesus is God, you have to throw everything that you have ever thought about life overboard. And you have to give your whole life to Him. And that is mega terrifying, terrifying. Can you you begin to see why these guys were so terrified? Because this would mean that their whole lives would be turned upside down. Like nothing would ever be the same again for them or for you if you really understand this. 
the way you think about your career, the way you think about your money, the way you think about your sex life, the way you think about your enemies, the way you think about your friends, the way you think about your marriage, the way you think about your kids, the way you think about your ex, the way you think about science. Everything that you think about life gets turned upside down when you realize that Jesus has infinite power because he is the Lord of the universe. That's mega terrifying, terrifying. Jesus has infinite power and it'll turn turn your life upside down if you take that in and really understand it. But not just infinite power. He doesn't just have infinite power. Let's add to, and perhaps this this second one explains uh, also, I think, why they were mega scared, scared. He has not just infinite power, he has uncontrollable power. And, and here's what I mean by this, okay? The hurricane comes up on the sea. Jesus is asleep in the boat during the whole thing. The, disciple, the, excuse me, the disciples wake him up, and in verse 38, they ask him, Teacher, don't you care if, by the way, that, that word if, that's a really bad translation, uh, the word is that. Don't you care that we are going to drown? I mean, that's that, that, like it's done. They, in their minds, it's over. Don't you care that we are going to drown? Now, now look, if there is, uh, there, there is not a person of faith in this room or in any other church in Evansville uh, who can't identify with what the disciples felt there. Like, crisis comes into your life. Some storm comes into your life. And what do you feel when a storm comes into your life as it relates to God? What, what is it that you think as it relates to God when a storm comes in? Don't you think this, Jesus, where are you? Don't you care? What are you doing? Like you've fallen asleep on me. If you loved me, you wouldn't let this happen to me, to us as a family. Don't you feel that? Okay, you're not nodding your heads, and you know you feel that, so just go ahead and do this. Nod your heads. You Midwestern people who don't want to show any expression or emotion, nod your head. Say, yes, I feel it. Say it with me. Yes, I feel that. Okay. You know you do. Okay. I've certainly felt that. Uh, my whole move to Evansville was one of those kind of times for me. I move here, pick up my family, move here 27 years. I'd live there. They'd live there all their lives. Move here, going to go pastor a church here in Evansville, and then suddenly that doesn't work out. And I'm wondering, uh, what's going on? Uh, I just made this big move for you, and uh, I wasn't really excited about leaving Dallas, and all of a sudden this happens. Are you awake? What's happening to me? If you really loved me, if you really loved my family, you wouldn't have just put us through this. That's, 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 that's what I felt. And this is where the disciples are in this passage. They're afraid. And in their fear, they're asking, don't you care that we're going to die? Because if you did, you would not let this happen. Jesus gets up calms the storm, but I want you to notice something about this text. He does not, when he, when he goes back to them, when he, when he talks to them, he doesn't apologize for being asleep on the job. In fact, he turns it back on them. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have 
no faith. And you see, by turning it back on them, what he's telling them is that their premise is wrong. He says, no, I do allow people I love to go through storms. I can love someone and let them go through a storm. You had no right to panic. Your faith should have and could have carried you through this storm. Now, this is one of the great frustrations that people, even people of faith, have with Jesus, isn't it? On the one hand, we live uh, in a world in which we are at the mercy of nature. I don't know if you realize this, but one day, nature is going to destroy you. It's going to destroy me. Happy Sunday. Aren't you glad to hear that? (laughs) If you live a long time, eventually... uh, Nature is going to take your body. Your body is going to give out and you are going to die. Or maybe it will be, maybe it will happen sooner than old age. It might be, could be an earthquake, could be a fire, could be cancer. Uh, Who knows? Maybe you'll drive too fast on a curve on a rainy highway and then the laws of nature will take you as your car slams into a tree. I don't know. But nature is going to destroy you. Nature is violent, and nature is overwhelming, and it is an unmanageable power. You and I are at the mercy of the storm that is nature, and that creates a great deal of anxiety living in a world in which we really understand that we don't have, we have very little control and ultimately no control. And so we say to ourselves, well, you know, okay, I live in this world, but, you know, uh, I'm at the mercy of nature, what am I going to do? Well, I'll turn to Jesus. But here's the problem. We can't control him either. Isn't that frustrating? He lets things happen that we don't understand. He doesn't do things according to our plan, which for many people becomes a reason not to believe and to become bitter toward God. The ancient Greek philosopher Epicurus uh, first stated it in this way. We'll put it up on the screen. He says, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's not omnipotent. Uh, Omnipotent means all-powerful. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then whence cometh evil, he says. Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? (laughs) But what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't respond to our intellectual temper tantrums. Like that. Nor does he respond to our emotional temper tantrums. He remains uncontrollable. You can't manipulate him. What he says is, I'm God, and and if I have the power to control nature, then I also have to be great enough to have some reasons to let you go through things that you can't understand. My power is uncontrollable. And so, you know, you might ask this question, what difference then does belief make if he is as uncontrollable as nature is? And the answer is, all the difference in the world. Because where nature's uncontrollable power has no love for you at all, Jesus' uncontrollable power is filled, filled with love for you. Which is why he says to the disciples here, why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? In other words, if you know I love you, if you believe that, if you believe I have power over nature and love you, you would be able to go through storms without having panic attacks, without being scared to death, without constantly worrying so much that you can't sleep at night. You'd be able to do that. 
by the way, the contrast between Jesus' reaction to the storm and the disciples' reaction to the storm is beautiful. Because here in the middle of this hurricane, the disciples are panicked while Jesus is sound asleep uh, in the stern of the boat. Why is Jesus sound asleep? Because if you remember, the very first, at the very beginning of the passage, what did he say? What's, what, was the, what was his first line in the beginning of this story? Let's go to the other side. Now, when Jesus says you're going to the other side, you're going to the other side. It doesn't matter what happens during the trip. You're getting to the other side. So he goes to sleep. We're getting to the other side. The disciples are like, we don't know what's happening. Jesus says, do you have no faith? Do you realize, by the way, do you realize that Jesus in this passage links faith and fear, faith and anxiety, faith and panic? Do you realize that faith brings physiological benefits to your life as well as psychological benefits to your life? Do you realize that? If you understand that you have a being in the heavens who loves you and has power over every storm in your life, there is peace that comes as a result of that. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But if you believe that Jesus is who He says He is, that He's Lord of the storm, Lord of the storms in your life, and and if you work that into your life, you too can experience that peace in the storms that life brings your way, no matter what they are. And here's what I want you to understand. Faith in Christ dispels fear, okay? Get that part. Faith in Christ dispels fear, but only in relation to its strength. Do you live with constant worry, fear, anxiety, panic attacks? Faith dispels fear, but, understand this, only in relation to its strength. Now, I've said this before. See, what, is, what, what we're saying by that is that you have to work your faith into your life deeply, okay? You have to think about what it is that you believe. You have to meditate upon it. That's why we did the Apostles' Creed at the beginning. You, you know, faith isn't something that it just all of a sudden it grows on its own. You have to work at it, right? You have to apply it to the storms of your life. What storms are you experiencing right now? What are you going through right now? I want you to know Christ is Lord of your storm. He is allowing this in your life for a reason. It will not destroy you ultimately because He is Lord over this storm. Remind yourself of that. Reinforce it through Bible reading and prayer. Preach it to yourself. When you're fearful, when you're worried, when you feel that panic attack coming on, preach it to yourself. Faith in Christ dispels fear, but only in relation to your faith's strength. Faith is like a muscle. It gets stronger. You've got to work it in. You've got to preach it to yourself. You've got to, you've got to meditate on it. Take it in. Read stories in the Bible that remind you of this. Take it in. Make it yours. Own it in your soul. Okay. Jesus has infinite power. Jesus has uncontrollable power. And then finally, and this is really fascinating. So like if you're thinking right now, oh, the, the, the sermon's about over. Now I can kind of start thinking about what's coming. Don't do that. Don't think about what's coming this afternoon. Don't think about the PGA Championship. I promise you Jordan Spieth is going to be there in the end. All right? So don't think about that this afternoon. Think about this. Jesus has costly power. Jesus has costly power. Now, this is where it gets so fascinating to me. And maybe I'm just a Bible nerd, but this is where it's fascinating. If you're at all familiar with major stories of the Bible, you may notice that this story has... Uh, remarkable similarity to another story in the Bible in the Old Testament. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? 
Story of Jonah. Story of Jonah. Think about it. In both stories, the characters are in a boat. In both stories, a terrible storm arises. In both stories, the people on the boat are panicked. They're fearful for their death. And in both stories, what is the one who could calm the storm doing? In both of those stories, Jonah's asleep. Jesus is asleep. Both of them are asleep. Remarkable similarity, right? I think there's a point in this. I think Mark is telling this this for a reason. There, There is one difference in the stories. In the book of Jonah, Jonah says, look, I know what's happening in the storm. Throw me into the water and the storm will die down. If I perish, Jonah says, you guys will survive. If I die, you will live. And they throw him in and the storm Uh, The storm dies down. In this passage, though, here's the difference. In this passage, though, Jesus just speaks a couple of words, and the storm dies down. Now, stick with me on this, because I I think Mark wants us to see something here. What has Jesus been teaching about just before this thing happens? What's he been teaching about? The kingdom, the kingdom of God. A day in the future in which Jesus promises that all that is wrong with the world will be healed. A time in the future in which he will, you could say it this way, he will calm all storms, he will calm all waves, he, all destruction, all brokenness, all death, all of the storms of life are going to be gone that day in the future. But something is going to have to happen before he can use his power in that way. Before he can use his power to heal the world, he must use his power to do something else first. Now, watch this, okay? Watch this. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says this about himself. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. He says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay. What is he saying? He's saying, like Jonah, he will have to be thrown into the storm. But the storm that Jesus is thrown into is the ultimate storm. The storm of God's wrath under the ultimate waves of sin and death. And in a costly act of love and power, Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins. You see? That's the point of the story. Jesus is going to be thrown into the storm for you and for me. Into the storm of God's wrath. And to the degree that this gets burned into the center of your being, you will never say, (coughs) when you're going through something, you will never say, Oh Lord, don't you care? Because you know that He does. If Jesus wouldn't abandon you to the ultimate storm of God's justice, why would He ever abandon you in the infinitely smaller storms of this life? Good, theolo- good psychology is good theology made personal. What are you going through this morning? What is the storm that is facing you right now? What is the, where do you think? I'm going to get thrown over. I'm going to die in this storm. This, this is going to be my ultimate demise, this storm. What are, you, what's, what are you going through this morning? What you need is peace. You need peace. A peace that will transcend all understanding, regardless of any circumstance, any storm that you're facing or will face. You want that kind of peace? Take Jesus' infinite power 
His uncontrollable power and His costly power demonstrated by His love for you on a cross. Take that deep into your soul, work it in, and you will experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. Would you bow your heads with me for prayer? Forgive us for being people of little faith, Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we fear? Lord Jesus, we fear so often. We live with worry, anxiety, panic. We live with this because we don't trust you. Lord Jesus Christ, this morning, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you drive these truths of your infinite power and your costly power, your uncontrollable power, and your love that was demonstrated when you were thrown into the storm of God's wrath, would you drive these things to the very center, the very core of our being? Lord, would you remind us of these things through the week? Would you cause us to remind ourselves through the Holy Spirit of these things, to preach them to ourselves, so that over time, over time, over the days, weeks, months, years of our lives, Lord, that we would begin to experience this peace that you offer that transcends all understanding. We need that peace. Lord, we need to know that while we are at the mercy of nature, you are Lord over nature. You are the Lord over the, stor- over the storms in our lives. We need this truth. We need this reality. That when we believe in you, that we are safe for all of eternity. And while you may allow us to go through storms, we're safe. We're going to get to the other side. Lord, would you just right now, would you just take that and to the people that are in this room this morning who are going through severe storms, would you make that very real to them, speak to them now about that. Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you as Lord over nature, Lord of our lives, and Lord of the universe. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.